I'm Emily. And we're, we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Today we're going to talk about the movie The Shop Around the Corner, which is one of Emily's, I think, favorite movies. And also we decided one of a uh, perfect movie for the Christmas season, which is when we are recording this episode. So Or any season. Any for that season. Matter. It does start in the summertime. <laughs> so so there you go. Um, so it is a movie that The Shop Around the Corner was uh, made in 1940. It stars um, uh, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Margaret Sullivan. Um, And it is the story of a bookstore in Budapest um, in the summer and then in the Christmas period. Um, And it follows two um, people who work in the... the, It's not a bookstore, it's a shop. (laughs) The remake was not a bookstore. Um, It's just playing a regular shop. Um, But it follows two people who work in the books in the shop, regular shop. We want it to be a bookstore. We want it to be a bookstore. Um, um, Two people who work in Mr. Matichek's store, um, his salesman, and then a clerk that gets hired at the beginning of the movie. Um, And uh, they... um, they don't get along in real life, but it turns out um, they are exchanging love letters without knowing that they who knowing the true identity of their um, epistolary recipient. So, <laughs> dear friend, dear friend. Um, so that is the very short synopsis of the book. Or the book. I just want to talk about books, apparently. It was based on a book. <laughs> I was going to say, is it based I on a book? I think it is. I mean, or it was, it had a previous incarnation before this movie. Yeah. Um, well, I looked into trivia for The Shop Around the Corner, and interestingly, there wasn't a lot for this, and I think it's because it was shot in 27 days. So I don't oh. think... This was actually sort of like a low-budget movie. It was shot, like, in that short amount of time. And um, the other interesting thing was that it was all shot in sequence, which is really unusual for movies. So, like, all that. It was, you know, almost like a play where everything happens in order. So I thought that was cool. Um, We're going to talk about Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan in a minute, but... um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Margaret Sullivan had a reputation for being, like, really horrible to work with. (laughs) Which I didn't know until I was looking at. Um, But she had a special relationship with Jimmy Stewart, where he was one of the only people who could work well with her. Uh And um, she kind of helped launch his career as a lead actor, which I will get into more in his bio. But because of that... Like, even though the casting crew kind of hated her, he was able to deal with her better than most people. Um, Ernst Lubitsch called this film the best picture I ever made in my life, which is saying something because a lot of his other movies were, like, big-budget, elaborate types. And this was just supposed to be... A little thing. Just a little charming movie, throwaway kind of B-movie. To make sure the film was unglamorous because um, Ernst Lubitsch was trying to move away from that he actually had the one of the dresses Margaret Sullivan wore was purchased off the rack for a dollar ninety eight oh my god 
And then they left it in the sun to bleach and altered it to fit her poorly. So they really wanted her to look like a shop girl and not glamorous. Wow. Which I thought, hmm, achieved. Yeah. <laughs> and, this, um, and even though I already said that Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan got along well, even they sometimes had little blow-ups. And um, he got flustered working with her on a scene where it took him 48 takes oh, yeah. to say... We were in this little, re- oh, to say, like, I will come out on the street and roll my trousers up to the knees, and he couldn't say it, and she got really mad at him and told him he was ridiculous, and he was, <laughs> he, he was standing there with his trousers rolled up to his knees, self-conscious about his legs, which were very skinny, and he said to her, I don't want to act today, get a fellow with decent legs and just show them. And then she said that I absolutely refused to do the picture without you. So then they kept going and did more takes. Poor <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. I mean, a little compassion. Yeah. Um, and that's all I got for trivia. Hmm. Um, well, I thought it was interesting. I mean, this isn't really trivia. It's more just all of the great people who are in this movie because you know we have Margaret Sullivan and Jimmy Stewart, of course, but then Frank Morgan is in it, um, who of course plays the wizard in The Wizard of Oz um, and did some other movies, of course, also. Um, um, Joseph Shilkraut is maybe how you pronounce his name, um, but he was in a lot of things. He plays Vadis um, in this movie, the um, sort of the villain character. What um, else was he in? Because I kept looking at him thinking I know him from other stuff. So he was in The Diary of Anne Frank. Okay. I think he played Anne Frank's father. And then um, he was in um, The Life of Emil, Emil Zola. Okay. He played um, uh, Dreyfus in that. And that he won an Oscar for that performance. Um, and then the woman who plays Flora, one of the shopkeeper, shop girls, um, Sarah Hayden, she was in a lot of things, including The Bishop's Wife that with mm-hmm. Cary Grant and um, Woman of the Year. Um, and then um, Felix Bressert, who plays Purovich, um, is, is in Ninochka and To Be or Not To Be, um, to, I think they're both Ernest Lubitsch movies. Um, and then um, Inez uh, Courtney, who plays Alana, was in just a slew of musical comedies, both on screen and um, on Broadway. She's like in like hundreds of productions. And then the guy who plays the detective mm-hmm. who figures out that um, uh, Matichek's, um wife is having an affair with um, one of his employees, um, he played like in dozens and dozens of movies, always like sort of smaller roles, but he was in The Bachelor and Bobby Soxer, The Best Years of Our Lives, To Be or Not to Be, and in The Thin Man Goes Home. Um, so he's one of those characters that, or one of those actors that whenever I see an old movie, I'm like, I, I know I've seen you in another movie, but I can't remember which one. So <laughs> I always think he's a more famous actor than he was, but I think he just was in a lot of movies. I thought that one of the, that was one of the things that makes this movie really good is that they have a great supporting yeah. cast. Yeah. So like all of the small roles and there's so, there's a lot of comedy in this and all of the, yeah lines are just delivered really well yeah um because i was just laughing my head off watching (laughs) um i can say a little bit about jimmy stewart since 
I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Fellow Pennsylvanian, Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) Um, We're obliged to love him. We would anyway. Which, by the way, I discovered in my research that there is a new podcast specifically just about Jimmy Stewart that the Jimmy Stewart Museum is putting out. I think we need a field trip to the Jimmy Stewart Museum. We do. It's in Indiana, Pennsylvania. It's only like five hours away. (laughs) Most of the way across the state. It's fine. A weekend trip. That's right. Um, but they interview people who were greatly influenced by him or who worked with him. Oh my god, we need to listen so, A, listen to this podcast and B, go to the Jimmy Stewart Museum. Um, plug for the Jimmy Stewart C, podcast. Get jobs at the <laughs> Jimmy Stewart Museum. I know, I was wondering, like, how many people are employed at this museum, but... And can we work there? I'm sure yes. they need marketing people. Yeah. Done. I mean, clearly. Because their website could have used some work, so... That's right. <laughs> Maybe um, they'll pick up our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> By the time this podcast airs, we'll have new employers. We're just kidding. We, right now. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We love our current employers. We do. Um, so his full name is James Maitland Stewart, and he was born in 1908 in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And his parents owned a hardware store that had been in the family for generations. And originally, Stewart, as the oldest child, was expected to take over the store, which clearly did not happen. Yeah. But they were from an old Scottish family who had been in America a long time, and his ancestors had served in, like, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, Spanish-American War. So, you know, that was kind of his heritage. Huh. Um, as a young man, he was a great admirer of Charles Lindbergh, and he was really interested in aviation. And he- when he got older, he wanted to attend the U.S. Naval Academy and become a pilot, but his father insisted he go to Princeton instead. He went to Princeton? He did. He was one of the reasons mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Princeton. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, while at Princeton, he became involved in theater through the famous Princeton Triangle Club and with the university players. And um, the university players had sort of... A, traveling theater company that like in the off months would perform and he made connections there and became friends with Henry Fonda oh and they shared an apartment in New York after he graduated and that's how he got his first Broadway part in 1932 Um, but around this time the depression made working in theater really difficult so Henry Fonda moved to Hollywood and Jimmy Stewart followed him for opportunities um so that was around 1935. And then he started getting smaller roles in M- MGM movies like After the Thin Man and Wife versus Secretary. Um, so Margaret Sullivan was Henry Fonda's ex-wife. So Stewart had already known her previously, and she helped to launch him as a leading man. She campaigned for him to star opposite him in the romantic comedy Next Time We Love, which came out in 1936. And he wasn't super confident around this time. I mean, the studio didn't really know what to do with him because he didn't fit the leading man type. Like, he was sort of tall and gangly and, like, stuttered and had all of these weird hand gestures. Um, But she rehearsed extensively with him, and she encouraged him to just use his unique mannerisms and make it into his own acting style that would, like, characterize him. Uh And that's kind of how he... I mean, we... People still make fun of, like, you know, the Jimmy Stewart voice and accent yeah. today. and That was kind of just him. It wasn't really anything he was putting on. <laughs> um, so after that movie, Stewart went on to have more success, and he built a partnership with Frank Capra, who really liked working with him. 
and Capra Cass Stewart and You Can't Take It With You, which I love, and I would love to do on another podcast anytime. Okay. Um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, in 1940, he played a slick reporter in the Philadelphia story alongside Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Which and, we still have to watch. Which we do, which is another one of my favorites. Um, so he was nominated for Academy Awards five times, but that was the only movie he won for in that role in the Philadelphia story. I think he actually beat out Henry Fonda to win for that um, and he gave his father the statuette to display in the hardware store window in Indiana, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and that's where it stayed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and beyond acting, I did not know this about him. He was also very active in the military service. Oh, yeah. So he, like, especially in the tradition of his family of people being involved with the American military, he wanted to serve in World War II. Um, he became a pilot in the Army Air Corps, which wasn't easy because he kept failing the test because he was actually like considered underweight by Army standards because he was so tall and thin. He actually had to like work to gain weight to like make it into the Army. Um, and then after World War II, he stayed active in the military. He served in the U.S. Air Force Reserve and the Vietnam War, and he rose to the rank of Brigadier General. Jeez. That's the highest ranking actor in military history. So that's like, that's pretty high ranking. Um, I had no idea. I know. I mean, I kind of knew that he had served, but I didn't know that he stayed that involved. Um, And then his later acting career was characterized by thrillers, like he worked with Alfred Hitchcock a lot. And then he also did a lot of westerns later Mm -hmm. in life. And he received an Academy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1985 and died in 1997 of cardiac arrest at the age of 89. I remember when he died. Yeah, we were old enough to be aware. Yeah. Um, So what can you tell me about Margaret Sullivan? Um, Her life was depressing. So she was born into a wealthy family in 1909 um, in Virginia. Um, Margaret uh, Brooke Sullivan, the kind of wealthy family where Brooke was her mother's maiden name. Um, She, in 1933, caught the attention of movie director John uh, M. Stahl um, and appeared in um, Only Yesterday um, that same year. Um, However, she worked, she preferred working on the stage, and so she only made 16 movies, um, four of which were with Jimmy Stewart. Um, She, uh, in her early life, she had a lot of painful muscular weakness. It was unspecified what that was exactly, Um, but she, um, this, that sort of pain... Um, left her isolated, um, but um, she recovered from from that um, by the age of six, and then sort of got a reputation for being tomboyish and like wanting to play with the kids on the other side of the tracks, which her parents apparently did not appreciate. <laughs> um, um, but she went on to um, attend the um, Chatham Episcopal Institute, um, where she was the president of the student body, um, and then she moved to Boston, where she studied dance against her parents' wishes, um, who, and her parents um, sort of expressed their disappointment by cutting her allowance. So she made ends meet by um, working at the Harvard Cooperative Bookstore in Harvard Square in Cambridge. 
gosh, I used to hang out at the <laughs> I wondered if you would <laughs> And so she, um, so she worked there, and um, it was at Harvard that she got her first acting gig in the chorus of a 1929 production of a play called Close Up, um, which featured Henry Fonda, who would, in 1931, become her husband. Um, uh, they divorced in 1933, <laughs> right before, I, I think right before she went to Hollywood. But um, So her parents didn't approve of her um, her choice of career, um, but she, but they sort of relented when they saw that she um, actually would, had some talent to it. Um, she said, um, oh, she was, she went a, a scout saw her in a play. Um, she, it was a, a, the scout led to some, her, her success, but that scout saw her on a day when she was suffering from laryngitis and her voice was huskier than it usually was. Mm -hmm. Um, but because of that illness, she sort of had to cultivate, um, this husky, warbly voice that she, um, uh, sort of, became known for. Um, she joked later that she cultivated this, quote, laryngitis into a permanent ho hoarseness, hoarseness by standing in every available draft, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so she um, debuted on Broadway um, in a play called Modern Virgin um, in 1931. Um, and then in 1933, um, she replaced another actor in Dinner at Eight, um, John M. Stahl happened to be watching the play um, and loved her in it and um, decided she would be perfect for the movie only yesterday. Um, Sullivan had already turned down a couple of um, five-year contracts from Paramount and Columbia, but um, uh, Stahl offered her a three-year contract, um, and... Um, so she accepted that one because it was less, she didn't want to be tied to a particular studio and she wanted to continue acting on the stage, so she preferred that. Um, so you talked about um, the movies that um, she made with Jimmy Stewart. Mm -hmm. She was also in a surprising number of um, depressing sounding World War II era movies about Nazis and Jews. Um, and the advance of Japanese soldiers. <laughs> like propaganda films? No, just like... I mean, they were all dramatic, like, feature films, but they were, you know, she plays a Jew who falls in love with another Jew in Nazi Germany and, like, oh. plays up in another movie. She played a woman who um, is engaged to a man and um, then discovers that he's a Nazi and so breaks it off and, like, gets together with another guy and as they're escaping um, across the Alps, um, she gets shot. And carried, and then her her beloved carries her back into Austria to where she can die in a in a country that was at the time free, and it was just <laughs> that is depressing. Yeah, totally depressing. Um, <laughs> but she so she retired from making movies in the early nineteen forties, but um, then returned in nineteen fifty to make her last movie another upper, called No Sad Songs for Me, in which she plays a woman who is dying of cancer and tries to find a second wife for his, for her husband to be the mother of her children after she's dead. So, romantic comedy. Oh. Um, 
But so for the next 10 years, she only, um, she only appeared on the stage. She had four husbands, Henry Fonda, director William Wyler, producer Leland Hayward, with whom she had um, three children, um, two of which died at a very young age. Um, and then um, her last husband was Kenneth Wagg, who was a banker. Um, and they were together for 10 years until her death in 1960. Um, you mentioned that Margaret Sullivan had a reputation for being, like, temperamental. Um, she, um, there was, there was a story that I found about, um, how when she was with Henry Fonda after they were divorced, um, uh, on the set of a, of, of some production, um, Henry Fonda was taking up a collection for 4th of July fireworks, and, um, Margaret Sullivan refused to make a contribution, and Henry Fonda, like, made some, like, sarcastic comment. Um, to another actor, and so she got up from her seat and poured water, poured ice water on um, Henry Fonda's head, and then, like, went back to what she was doing sort of calmly and, and coolly, and... <laughs> um, As one does. Yeah. And then um, there was um, the one of the founders of the Motion Picture Alliance died of a heart attack um, shortly after having a... Um, uh, like knock down, drag out argument with um, Margaret Sullivan over the hiring of, uh, or the firing of a writer um, that um, Wood wanted to fire because he was an anti communist and he thought this fi- this writer was too. Um, uh, like blacklisting stuff? Yeah. Um, and um, apparently Louis B. Mayer also was nervous. <laughs> around her so <laughs> so she essentially killed this person yeah essentially but for good you know fighting a, a valiant fight yeah um right <laughs> who can blame her um so she um so I mentioned her her husky throaty voice that she you know she sort of joked about making horse but horse more horse and throatier throughout her life just to like um, take advantage of the fact that people loved it when she was sick, you know, early in her career. Um, but it turned out she actually struggled with hearing problems her entire life and had more difficulty hearing um, higher pitches than lower pitches. And so some people speculate that her voice was, she made her voice lower so that she could hear it. Oh. And... Um, um, that sort of that hearing loss caused a lot of depression for her and a lot of like mental problems and mental anguish um, and her sort of her separation from her um, husband her yeah her husband and then um, her children led to depression as well um, she died at the age of 50 of an overdose of barbiturates that was ruled an accident only because they couldn't prove that it was a suicide so, oh. so I see why that you that was depressing. It was slightly depressing. She's only fifty. Can um, we go back to Joker Stewart? That's right. Can we go back to <laughs> Brigadier General? <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So slightly depressing. Yeah. Um. But the movie is not depressing. No, the movie is a delight. <laughs> the one thing I think is a little strange about the movie is that. 
they make a point of talking about how it's set in Budapest. Bud- yeah. But there's really... Nothing about it that's Budapest? Yes. Yeah. And I think they might have done that because the original story was set in Budapest, yeah. but... I mean, I would say either change that <laughs> or... Make it more Hungarian. Yeah. Like, I, I would have actually liked that played up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it was funny that, like, all the signs were in Hungarian, I guess. It's Hungarian? Yeah. And, um... And, uh... But that... I mean, nothing else. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Um, I... I really enjoy this movie, and I think, well, first of all, I love any type of romance where the people start out hating each other. (laughs) That's, like, my (laughs) ideal. I actually thought that they did have good chemistry in this Mm -hmm. movie, just in terms of their um, verbal play and stuff like that. I thought that was really good. Um, And also just, like, it was interesting seeing things so much from Jimmy Stewart's perspective yeah. because I feel like a lot of these type of movies you often stick with the woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, that's a really interesting point. So I liked that. Um, and I also really liked how much the store felt like a community. Like yeah. all those people worked together. They all cared about each other. It was clear that it was hard economic times. And they were, like, sort of looking out for each other. They knew things about their families and, like, as yeah. top. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's that. nice that when when he, when he Jimmy Stewart's character gets fired, that one of the characters, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Pirovich says, you know, don't lose contact with us. You know, you'll still be around. And then he, like, also offers to go over and, mm-hmm. you know, spend the evening with him because he knows he's going to be sad about losing his job which I thought was also unusual for you know to depict sort of male friendship it wasn't about like shit talking women yeah (laughs) it was really I thought that was so sweet when he said you know called him up and went wanted to be with him that night um because it did seem clear that at, at various times throughout the movie, it seemed clear that people didn't have, like, a huge safety net and mm-hmm. times were hard. Yeah. Um, well, what did you think of it? Because this was your first time seeing it. Um, I was, yeah, I was surprised that it was set in Budapest. It didn't, like, occur to me that it would not be set in, like, New York. Um, and there were... I, I sort of loved how much they hated each other and, like... The the witty banter where they are just cruel to each other, but in in a way that they're like clearly on an on an equal playing field in terms of you know of being jerks to each other. Um, I liked the little things that kept coming up, um, like that music bo- the music box that sort of appears throughout the movie as sort of a um, <laughs> a thing that sort of like the through line through the movie um and all of the like dialogue was fabulous it was oh in the beginning when um alfred is reading the letter to pirovich from his dear friend yes his friend yeah 
even the way he read it, I was like, this is hot. This is, like, hot for this movie period because he's like, I opened my letterbox and I opened you up. And there you are. And I was like, whoa, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pretty, there was some pretty sexy action. Yeah. <laughs> With those letters. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I thought he did a great job in this Um so many of the lines were just really funny. Like the, I liked how they set up that that um, the other clerk was a villain up front because nobody wanted to talk to him about anything because it was clear that he was some kind of a narc. Yeah. Like that he would report that you had said something bad and like um, in the beginning when Jimmy Stewart had just been to the dinner with his boss and then he said like oh I had too much goose liver and then. The head guy was like, oh, the, it wasn't good. And he was like, everyone gather around. <laughs> now you listen here. Did I say anything about the goose liver not being good? And everyone was like, no, you didn't say anything like that. Yeah. I just thought that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was watching this with Mike, and he just kept asking over and over again what the business model of the shop was. <laughs> like, he was like, I don't understand. Are they a department store? Like, they're selling a box? They're selling a belt? Like, what is this place? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, but apparently it, it works. Yeah. Not as well as other stores, maybe, but... Not <laughs> um, pretty well. What did you think of the storyline with Mr. Matichek and his wife and the affair? Um, I was really surprised by the by that storyline that it was. I mean, I, I guess I was expecting a movie that was going to be purely um, comedic and lighthearted, and so the, you know the fact that there was this like storyline in it where you know there's a a woman having an affair with a younger um, you know sh- a, a, an employee of you know, her husband's store um, in such a way that leads him to hire a detective to follow her. And then also, you know, when he's confirmed that someone is, you know, that that she is in fact having an affair, he tries to kill himself and like Mm -hmm. goes into the hospital for it. I mean, it's just very like... It was sad. it It was realistic, but it was really sad. And I was surprised about that. Um, well, and it was clear that he really loved his wife, too. Yeah. Well, and it was sad, too, when, you know, on Christmas Eve, when, you know, he was going to be going somewhere by himself, and he was trying to get somebody to come with him, and everyone was like, oh, no, I'm doing this thing. And then it was so sweet when, you know, here was this little shop boy <laughs> who, you know, the errand boy, who he's only just met and is by himself, and he's so happy to then treat this kid uh, Christmas Eve dinner mm-hmm. you know that was so heartwarming and also a little bit surprising <laughs> that that would be in this movie but I really liked that too I was worried that he was going to have to be all alone mm-hmm. and I was hoping Mr. Pirovich would invite him because he was like I just love being home with my family for Christmas and I was like okay well invite him <laughs> invite your boss but he didn't do that yeah um, I, I just loved some of the humor in this. Like, it, I actually thought it was really funny how Alfred sort of played with Clara a little bit after he knew that yeah. she was the pen pal. Yeah. But she didn't know. Like, when he made up the character of um, 
Matthias Popkin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, some girls like a belly like that. And, like, yeah. well, he wanted to ask how much you made because, you know, he... <laughs> Yeah. He doesn't work, and uh, I thought that was hilarious. It was hilarious, but it was so cruel, because you're like... Oh. <laughs> it was kind of mean, because she... I kept wondering all along, because, of course, we've also both seen You've Got Mail, which is like a remake of this. Yeah. Where in You've Got Mail, there, it seems like there's some sort of suggestion that she might know that it's him, like, yeah. closer to the end. And in this one, I didn't feel like that was there. Yeah, she didn't have any idea until he revealed the, her post office. Number. Yeah. And I loved when Alfred said that he said that Matthias Popkin left because he said, who is this very attractive young man she's talking to? He's just the type women fall for. I, <laughs> I was just like, hilarious. Yeah, I would have been really angry if someone did that to me. But in the context of the movie, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, well, and I love, too, that Pirovich now... Like, that yeah. he was a third character, you know, in that sort of dynamic to mm-hmm. sort of, that he knew and could, like, help, he, like, could help direct, like, the conversation about the, you know, what she was going to buy for her boyfriend, but mm-hmm. um, he didn't interfere in any way that was, um, like, nefarious or, yeah. I mean, which his character didn't seem nefarious at all, but... Um, it was nice that he just was sort of an observer and he was sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm hands off, but um, I'm going to make sure that, like, this sort of works out well because yeah. why not? Yeah, he was a nice character. I liked him. There may be blondes and brunettes that are hard to resist. You surpass them like a queen. Should we talk about the costumes? Yes. I did not like Clara's wardrobe that much in this movie, but after I read that they on purpose tried to make it not look that good, I thought maybe yeah. that made sense. Um, yeah. I did, I liked, she had this one skirt that was like a black skirt with white stripes on it yes. that I liked. Um, well, and there was that whole conversation about her light yellow her blouse that was light yellow with green dots or, mm-hmm. you know, or green, it was light green with yellow dots and they had some tiff about that. And it was sort of, it's, it was one of those like, well, this is a black and white movie, so, <laughs> so we don't know what color you're yeah. close on. It could be either way. Yeah. Um, I wrote down, Jimmy can wear a suit, exclamation point, tall glass of water. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> To which I say yes. <laughs> I liked that style of the double-breasted suits then, too. Yeah. No one wears them anymore. It yeah. looked good. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of had the, the questions about, you know, just it being set in Budapest and, like, how, how pe- the costumes might actually be different at that time. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer, but it was, it was one of, you know, looking at the way that people, they were all dressed in them. Like, are we really just in New York? I think we're just in New York. <laughs> yeah, right? that's kind of what it felt like. <laughs> or even just, like, Britain somewhere. Like, yeah. I would have believed that. Yeah. Um, I did not like that Clara's jumper that she wore on the date that, like, had, like, a... Um, straps that crossed... across. Like, yes! You know what I mean? So it weird. crossed across her torso. Yeah. It was very strange. Like, not, not what you wear for a date. No. 
ever. <laughs> Whether we are in New York or Budapest. No. In 1940 or 2016. I'm sorry. I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. Did you think there was a social justice message to the film? Um, it seemed to me like there was... If there, if there was a social justice message, it had to do with the fact that, you know, there were references to the fact that it was such a hard time to get a job. And so they were sort of kind to one another um, about em employment, even, even if they didn't, you know, like Clara and Alfred didn't really, you know, get along when they were working together. But when he got fired, she said, you know, it's such a terrible time to get a job that, you know, I wouldn't wish this on my enemy. Yeah. Um, and so there was some, I feel like there was some reference to some, like, underlying problems with the social order, but it wasn't actually addressed directly. Yeah. I also thought that there was a strong message of community in the way they handled Mr. Matichek's suicide attempt. Yeah, and yeah. You know, they got him help. They didn't, like, make fun of him or disparage him for that or the fact that his wife cheated on him. And they were, like, righteously angry at the the other clerk yeah. for doing that. And yeah. then when Mr. Matichak came back, they were really, they welcomed him back and were... So I thought, I mean, none of that was really overt. It was more kind of like, be a kind, decent person. Right. But still, I mean, it was... Right, take care of your friends, mm -hmm. yeah. I thought it was kind of a nice message. I don't think I'll do anything of importance that will displease you, but mother, from now on, you must give me complete freedom. In so do you think that this movie passes the Bechdel test? No. <laughs> <laughs> I also say no. <laughs> I do not. I don't think that there were, I mean, there may have been some, like, pleasantries exchanged yeah. between or among the women in the shop, but I don't think there were enough. No, I was trying to think of any of the conversations that happened among the women, and there was some just, like, plain talk about people's clothes. Yeah. And then when Clara was at home sick, which, by the way, inappropriate for your employer to visit you in your bedroom when you're homesick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and her... Was it, was it her aunt or her mother was there? But they were just talking about the letters yeah. and the pen pals. So I do not think it passes. No. <laughs> um, what do you think your rating is overall for this movie? I like this one a lot. I mean, this is... It's a movie that I would watch for pure pleasure. Like, not because it uses, you know fantastic film techniques or anything but it's just enjoyable um so i would give this four and a half stars yeah i think i would give it four stars just because i don't really understand like the budapest <laughs> <laughs> the element of budapest in this movie is missing to me <laughs> um every time i hear the word budapest in my mind i think of my fair lady where they rhyme it with ruderpest <laughs> Why are we not doing Budapest? Why are we not doing my? We need lady? to do it at some point. We should do it, but yeah, we. I mean, we we haven't watched an Audrey Hepburn movie since our very first movie. I know, which was a good one. Yeah, yeah, we should do one soon. Add it to the list. <laughs> so, um, what is up next? 
Um, our next movie is Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. We're returning to Cary Grant, uh, of whom there can never be enough. And, Correct. Um, <laughs> and Myrna Loy, um, who we haven't seen. This may also be our third Myrna Loy movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we like what we like. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> well, until next time, thank you for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.